0: 6349 or proliftdoors.com slash Portland.
1: All right. So we are uh, welcome back to listeners. We're on the show with uh, a guest named Tony McDonald, who's actually a personal friend of mine from college. Tony is heavily involved with Texas politics. And for us here in Oregon, Texas has Republicans. That's something that we do not have. And we don't (laughs) understand what we would actually do if we ever got a hold of the levers of power. So there's a couple of interesting stories going on in the state of texas right now which obviously is we can all kind of surmise is uh one party controlled and so it's we're just going to get a chance to hear about a little bit of what's going on and the pros and the cons there um but just to start uh tony if you'd be kind enough go ahead and uh, introduce yourself tell us what you're doing these days and tell us why we're talking to you
2: sure well why are you talking to me i, I guess i'm an exotic you know texan i don't know something interesting to talk to <laughs> uh, my my background i've been involved in grassroots politics for decade, decade plus uh, now. Uh, Got uh, got out of law school in 2012, went and worked at the legislature with state representative there. And then um, I've worked with nonprofit groups, kind of basically helping organize grassroots Texans to apply pressure to legislature, motivate legislators to actually deliver on campaign promises, um, that sort of stuff. And so, you know, I'm kind of intimately involved in the actual machinations of of getting things done in Texas, and it's interesting. It's not the um, it's not what people think. I mean, a lot of people from out of Texas think, "Oh my gosh, kumbaya, where Republicans are in charge, it's dominant, that sort of thing." But the reality is that we've had a consistent problem in Texas over the last two decades where uh, essentially the Democrats share power with moderate Republicans in Texas House of Representatives. They thwart the more conservative Senate. They um, kind of, Abbott's kind of an odd odd oddball because he's, you know, fairly conservative. He's not some kind of rhino or anything, but at the same time, he doesn't necessarily engage very effectively uh, often in the process. And so, um, it's a really interesting thing. We have these factions. We have the lobby in Austin that's very powerful, um, and there's a lot of money to be made in in Austin. I mean, you're talking about a two hundred billion dollar budget uh, per biennium, and so you know that's a lot of money for people to fight over. And so there's there's a lot of pressure. It's it's very interesting to watch it all play out.
1: Okay. Well, we are. There's obviously plenty of stories. We're all I think if I'm reading correctly, Texas is in the middle of their second special session after Signe dying the first after like a day or something That's like that. Right, so we'll, right, right. we'll we'll jump in with all that in a second. Uh, but kind of the genesis of this conversation for me was Ken Paxton, the Republican attorney general, has been impeached by the Republican House. And I guess to start out right. with what what happened there and why did a Republican impeach a Republican?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, the House is very moderate and hostile to conservatives. Um, you essentially have kind of two different wings of the Republican Party. Um, the party itself is now very conservative. The grassroots that are kind of in charge of that are now very conservative, and they're aligned with Um, The lieutenant governor, Dan Patrick, who is arguably the most powerful legislative official in the state, he runs the state senate. And so uh, because he's elected to that position, he's, he's really probably has the largest say in legislative agenda and what legislation is going to actually move.
0: So we've got a secretary of state here rather than, and we do not have a lieutenant governor. So is that a, is that a voting member of the Senate or just, uh, kind of presides over the proceedings?
2: So it, it's not, it's one of those things that's developed over, you know, century or two to actually get to the point where it is today. Um, he's not a member of the Senate. You know, he is the, the junior governor, right? I mean, he's, he's, it would be a position that would be largely, hey, you're a fill-in, right? Yeah. You know, for the governor, which is the way it is most places with lieutenant governors. But you know, uh, because you have uh, the lieutenant governor as the president of the Senate, presiding over the Senate, effectively the lieutenant governor setting the agenda in the Senate. He's coordinating all these senators to come to a to a to an agreement. So that's a very powerful position, and. Right. A very conservative, probably the most conservative statewide, yeah, maybe it's a little debatable, but you know, one of the most conservative statewide officials in Texas manning that post. Opposite him over in the House, you have Dave Phelan, who is a state representative who got elected speaker. Um, coming out of, a, there was a scandal. The old speaker got thrown out. I was all involved in that. There's great stories on that. <laughs> um, and then we we brought in... Uh, This new guy, well, he gets elected literally by courting the vote of the lesbian caucus, you know, by uh, working to get some Republicans and some Democrats on board. And so his allegiances are there um, and he's antagonistic to the lieutenant governor um, and kind of filling a role there to resist conservatives and oppose that. Abbott is somewhere in between. And so um you know you have these factions obviously the members in the house very much kind of falling in line behind the speaker wanting to curry favor with leadership in the way that you typically see just like you see in dc where you know people fall in line behind the speaker of the house because they want you know the the preferential treatment and so you, you have these two factions there and they're headed in very different directions and it's, it's it's interesting to see them, you know, uh, resist each other and, and that sort of thing. So, um, but yeah. a, again, you know, we have a, a, a lieutenant governor who uh, effectively is kind of running the show on the Senate side, and that puts him in probably the catbird spot, you know, to actually move legislation in the state. So
0: it seems like the factions in Texas are really more between the House and the Senate than they are between Republicans and Democrats. Is that- yeah.
2: I mean, I mean that's true. I mean, the House is, I would say, effectively a coalition government in the House. Uh, the big issue, for example, this session is that Republicans came out and made it one of their top legislative priorities to call in the House to stop giving committee chairmanships to Democrats. So mm-hmm. we've had this policy going back decades of saying, okay, well, we're going to share the leadership positions in the House. And that maybe made sense back in the 90s whenever things were kind of tilting and flipping, right? But uh, their party is saying, no, we, we kind of don't like the fact that we haven't elected a Democrat in 30 years, but you're still giving these people positions of authority and giving them chairmanship. Interesting. Uh, the Speaker refused to recognize uh, an amendment a rules amendment to actually get not even that it would have passed, but literally just as a brute show of force refused to let them even lay out an amendment to get rid of Democrat chairs. therefore we couldn't even get a vote on getting rid of Democrat chairs. And so um, that's the status quo right is to is to have those Democrat chairs in those positions. And it's kind of surprising too. I don't know if you'll caught um, you know last session, whenever we had a special session going on, the Democrats fled to D.C. um, in order to bust quorum. And, you know, at the time, a lot of these Republicans were saying, oh, it's totally different. We're we're not going to put up with this anymore. But, you know, back to form, whenever you got into this session, no, it was, we're going to continue to put up with this. We're going to continue to let Democrats not only, you know, snipe from hills in terms of opposing Republican agendas, but then they're still sharing power with them uh, for no real good reason, just kind of, uh, tradition and the political interest of the lobby, you know? And, and so all of these people, uh, raising and spending money on incumbents, it's really driven by that sort of thing. So that's, that's kind of a the thing there. Paxton is very much in the conservative Patrick kind of wing of the party, right? Um, and you have other people, Sid Miller, who's an agriculture commissioner, is actually an incredibly popular uh, state official. He's in kind of that conservative wing of the party. So, you know, that's one of the reasons that they would go after Paxton is literally just it's, it's infighting between these factions. And so mm-hmm. it was a huge surprise uh, that the House was doing this. They did it all in secret, and uh, they came out in about 72 hours and said, oh, hey, here's our... Impeachment resolution, we're going to vote. And they made them all vote. And most of the House members, of course, fall in line behind leadership and they voted through and, and voted it through. And there's, it it was a really shoddy process. I mean, you just didn't have, you didn't have sworn testimony. You didn't really have concrete evidence of any of the things that were said. Most of the things that were brought up were things that had been addressed in the primary and the election before. We have a state law that says we don't remove people for, for, things that they did prior to an election. So it was real shoddy what was done, but, you know, it's done. Once it's done, I mean, literally Ken is now removed from serving as AG um, and have to have a trial in the Senate. And, you know, we're going to be at least a couple months until we have a trial and, you know, decide whether the senator is throwing out or not.
0: So the impeachment means that he can no longer serve until the trial happens in the Senate. Yeah, he
2: suspended it until it happened. So this was all really kind of a shock that this this came out. I think from from my perspective as just kind of an analyst, I wouldn't do something like this to my enemy if I didn't think I was going to succeed. But I don't see how they succeed. I don't see how the feeling wing of the party gets the... Patrick, Senate wing of the party, to say, "Oh yeah, we're going to throw Ken Paxton out of office." That seems unlikely, and it seems like a complete loser for them. Why would they? Why would they let you know the the feeling kind of wag the dog, right? And you know, this guy who's probably the, the lowest on the political pecking order in texas that he's going to be the one and he's going to suddenly set the agenda and he's going to throw the ag out he doesn't have the political juice to do that Uh, so (laughs) i just i just don't expect it to actually happen
1: it it reminds me honestly of uh scott walker like 12 15 years ago whenever that was and they there was they led a recall effort and everybody in wisconsin said look you know maybe i don't like him maybe i don't like the policies that he's espousing but like he was a duly elected official in of state. He didn't actually do anything yeah. wrong or illegal. We don't. That's not cause to go through and kick him out. And it seems to again, I'm, from me from the outside looking in at this point, <clears throat> it seems like the 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 and it, it you correct me if memory serves. 150 members in the the state house and 30 state senators. So there's 150. 31. I'm sorry, 31.
2: 31. Yeah.
1: No, oh, good catch. Good catch um so there's a much more broad spec we would be doing this on the day that i just can't get over my allergies i'm sorry but there's a much more broad spectrum in the house of folks that come from tighter districts and you got you know 52 i think democrats will kind of vote to screw over whatever republican but then there's if there's enough moderate republicans that they can kind of go after a more conservative member statewide official Whereas in the Senate, if there's 31 and I is the split, I'm going to guess, you know, 2011 or something like that.
2: Yeah, I think what are we at? I think we're at 19, 1912 right 1912. now. And so um, but, uh, yeah, over in the House, I mean, it, it was ended up being a Democrat led impeachment effort it was 61. I want to say 61 Democrats and 60 Republicans that voted for this. So it was more Democrats than Republicans um that was actually surprising a lot of people i was i had friends who were kind of up at the capitol more in the bubble than i i mean not say i'm not in the bubble but you know more in the bubble than i am and they were thinking oh no this is going to be near unanimous that sort of thing and it just wasn't um just because the the evidence really isn't there um it's a lot of kind of spurious allegations that have just been kind of thrown around for forever and ever And, and there's a whole i mean you go back through the, the Paxton stuff, you know, he was indicted whenever he was first running for office back in 2014. And, uh, when you go back through that, I, I wrote a ton of articles back at the time about it. Uh, but effectively the special prosecutors that got appointed to take over that thing, it was a political faction kind of thing up in Collin County where he was from. The guy who led that and is still kind of leading that, um, is the, uh, the general counsel for the Bandito's motorcycle gang. So it's <laughs> like, you know, say, so I don't know if you ever watched The Wire or something. We have Maury Levy, you know, it's like a criminal lawyer, right? we yeah. inside the criminal organization. Like, this is the kind of guy, you know, who's wielding <laughs> the power yeah. of the state uh, to go after our attorney general. They indicted him, you know, a decade ago, and it's just been sitting there because it's this political weapon. And so, you know, it's just, completely nuts so crazy stuff going on um with that with that effort and so I, I just again I, I don't really think the the juice is there I don't think that they really have the goods on Kim um, and you know I think it's it's all politically motivated I think these guys are just house members you know they they obstructed a ton of conservative bills this session till killed the ton of stuff, killed, you know, border security bills and other things, things that were actually making serious progress. And I think this was really one of those things where they needed to distract from their obstinance, right? They've been uh, opposing the gra- Republican grassroots, and they say, okay, well, we need to change the conversation. Let's change and have a conversation about Ken Paxton, <laughs> you know? And that's, you know, from a political gotcha kind of thing it's obviously that he didn't want that you know nobody wants that and so it's a it's a huge undertaking huge distraction and so instead of talking about oh well they killed all of our conservative bills you're talking about you know whether he got a free countertop from some contractor you know (laughs) stuff like that
1: and so, and I, mention- I Definitely, want to get a, a touch on property taxes here in a second. But that was that's kind of one of the other things is what like what are some of the conservative things that are kind of making inroads? Because I, for you know, national media perspective, and especially us living in a blue state, everybody, everybody, everywhere, let's talk about trans stuff these days. And it's oh, we got an assault on the LGBTQ community, and you know, isn't this backwards in this red state? And it's just like, well, we can have debates on where in terms of the you know socially progressive. Nothing that I saw was particularly anti-gay. I think there was probably bills that went through Texas that said biological men should compete in men's sports and stuff like that. But yeah. that's the stuff that gets the national attention. What What's kind of stuff that was actually going through the house that was working its way towards, you know, getting signed into law that moderate Republicans were like, look, I don't know how I feel about this.
2: Yeah. Well, it isn't so much like, a, I don't know how I feel about this. It, 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 it was weird this session. Um, Feeling whenever, actually, and this goes back to in bon the prior speaker, he brought in a guy named Hugh Brady, who is truly, he is probably the expert on, um, on House parliamentary procedures. Wrote the book on it. Very, very smart man. Um, worked in the Obama administration, was the parliamentarian for the Travis County Democratic Party. Um, so, Obama official does party politics kind of stuff with the Democrats. They bring this guy in and they make him the House parliamentarian, which means anytime you have an objection and the rules raise a point of order, um, you know, technically the speaker is the one making that decision. because making that decision on the recommendation of the parliamentarian. And in practice, they kind of let the parliamentarians kind of run wild with it. So, they have had this guy in there since phelan has been in, and uh, effectively he had an agenda. This session to say, okay, we're going to kind of create new rules, and uh, so we're going to pretend that certain precedents are there that really aren't there. But uh, we're going to create new rules. and We're going to start killing bills, and it got to the point in May where you know it would like it would be a busy night, and they would suspend i a point of order on like six bills in a row, right? And a real like incredibly ticky pack stuff. So like one of the bills, there was a, a, a bill that would have forced the state to get out of, uh, Eric. I don't know if you've ever heard of Eric. It's a multi-state, like 30 state, uh, consortium to deal with interstate, um, uh, voter registration. And okay. the way it's run has been run to actually to the benefit of Democrats. So they kind of force certain policies out, and it has helped Democrats in terms of voter registration, that sort of thing, because they effectively dominate this organization. And so Republicans have been pushing back on that. Some Repub- A lot of Republican states have dropped out of Eric. And um, we had a bill that would have said, okay, you need to look at how we do that. It wasn't like a command we have to get out, but it was – kind of set some rules and what we would do, and maybe the state would set up its own organizations, like a more Republican organization, instead of being part of this more liberal Democrat-leaning organization um, dealing with voter registration. So the bill's moving forward. It comes to the floor, and um, in the coming documents for it, it had a a paragraph in there that said uh, something like, uh, some people say the costs of being part of Eric have not been worth the benefits. <laughs> or, you know, some say the costs have not outweighed the benefits. Right? That sentence in this this kind of intro paragraph of the thing. Um, they sustained a point of order, said that was misleading language because it wasn't definite enough. And you know, who was some? You know, you didn't tell me who exactly. You needed to say this particular person says. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's not worth the benefits or whatever. That's never been the rules. It's never been, there's no history of that being, you know, some ticky tack rule that we just happen to have in Texas. It's just not there. Uh, but they basically plotted to set this up. And so all of a sudden, everything that's fairly conservative is getting killed over, 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 and over, and over. And so the, um, you know, that's how they killed stuff. Okay. It wasn't like the moderate Republicans come out and say, "Oh, well, we're not comfortable with this, and we're just not going to move it." Mm-hmm. They're just they're going to like grasp their hands and go, "Oh, that's this terrible, mean, you know, parliamentarian just won't let us."
0: You know, I was going to say if they if they really don't if they really don't want the bill, can't the speaker just refuse to give it a hearing?
2: Yeah, a committee chairman refused to give it a hearing, but they want to look as if they want to do it. But not actually want to do it, right? I see. And, and so you let this, you know, a Democrat parliamentarian be your hatchet man to kill these things and just go, oh, I can't do anything. And it's like actually there's a ton of things you could do. you just pretending you can't, you know. <laughs> oh no, um, your hands are tied. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was that kind of thing going on all session, like to an extreme degree. And so that that was where a lot of things went. Um at the end of the day, one of the big issues of property tax reform, you know, there's a big fight. We had a huge surplus this session and, uh, you know, we're pushing for larger and larger property tax reform. The numbers, frankly, aren't that good. Um, you know, it probably could have been $10 billion more in property tax, you know, relief. Really. Um, and so now we're actually in a fight because that stuff didn't pass during the regular session. Abbott has called back the Senate and, and House. To deal with that, but you actually have different approaches now. So the Senate wants to do something that's in the in the nature of a homestead um, exemption. So those who have homesteads would get the first hundred thousand dollars of their homestead exempted uh, from uh, property taxes. So they would get kind of the the bulk of the relief. Whereas there's some other you know, formulas we call compression, where we spend money to then buy down local school property taxes, and that then goes across the board, not just to homes, but businesses and you know commercial, you know, commercial and industrial properties and that sort of thing. And so there's this dispute between the House and Senate. Okay, do we want to favor homeowners or do we want to favor you know some across the board compression thing? Some conservatives like the compression thing. Some people uh, like uh the senate's you know homestead exemption thing so we just we've got this fight going on with no real end in sight so that's really interesting and we'll see where that goes because there's not really something's going to have to give i mean something's going to have to roll over um eventually so i don't i don't know what that i don't i don't know what the end game is in that at this point so that'll be really interesting
1: Well, and so for Texas as a state that has no income tax, but that does have very high property taxes, we've now got, we've got one party control. We've got a problem that everybody recognizes, hey, we'd like to do something about. And we've got a boatload of money that we're going to be able to go through and kind of throw at it. And it's just a matter of these very, I don't want to say nitpicky because it it makes a very big difference whether we go from the compression side or whether we go from the homestead side. It makes a very big difference, but which kind of angle we want to attack it from and who's going to end up getting the most relief. And it's, it now seems so in Texas has signy died, has gone through one special session and is now in the midst of a session, special session. We just signy died in Oregon three, four days ago at this point. And I God yeah. only knows, I hope yeah. that we don't have any special sessions coming up anytime soon, please God. But it, it does seem like for well, you. Guys, that's, like you guys, that's-
2: I was gonna say that's the old saying, you know, your your life, liberty, and property aren't safe when the legislature's in town. So, you know, you want things to pass, sure, <laughs> but when they're gone, it's like, okay, we're safe. <laughs>
0: you know? Yeah, that's. And, IP, I always think it's percent. funny, kind of the the mindset, and and I don't know if it's the same there, but it seems like Republicans and Democrats that I know, you know, Democrats look at government of like, oh, this is great. Look at all the great things we can do. All the money we can spend it on different things. These programs. And Republicans just kind of dread it, dread yeah. legislative sessions. It's how can we get through this with the least amount of damage possible? Yeah, and <laughs> I, I just...
2: I, let me tell you kind of what we have is a little different. So a couple things, you know, I'm sure Democrats in, in Oregon are frustrated by this. It's, you know, whatever your dominant party is, is going to mm-hmm. draw people who are politician first. It may be ideological. I mean, Some of them may be ideological. Some of them are not really ideological at all. They're they're really there. They want to be elected. They want to be in office. Um so anybody who's kind of a fake, you're probably going Democrat, they're not going Republican. There's no reason that they would be a Republican. And,
0: oh yeah. Right. And so Well, yeah, you get you get a lot of ideologues as well. I think the uh the fakers uh go to Secretary of State. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, but I mean there's Channels for that. So, right the, the you know, in Texas, you're going to see plenty of Republicans who are fakers. I mean, they don't really believe they don't believe in anything. They don't actually believe in. If if they were in a Democrat state, they'd run as Democrats, right? And there's yeah. a lot of people that are like that. And so you have those people in the mix. Um, our biggest problem is the Texas legislature. Of course, we don't meet. We meet one, uh, once every two years, right? So it's mm-hmm. a fairly short span but they treat it like summer camp. I mean, like it's, <laughs> there's a, you know, they come, they come down for the legislature. There's lots of booze and lobbyists are buying, you know, dinners and there's effectively no limits on gifts from lobbyists. Um, for our legislators, it's a huge problem. There's a lot of extramarital affairs. There's a lot of immorality, frankly. Um, and you know, they come down and, and have a big party and, uh, so I I don't know I think our guys look forward to it because it's a big party for five months,
0: effectively. Got it. Yeah, well, here yeah they we they take away all our rights and money. <laughs> <laughs> six months.
1: We definitely get plenty of that here in Oregon. Bless their hearts, but yeah, there's just a there's just a lot of people with a lot of really bad ideas, and they show up. We just Diego Hernandez. We just kicked him out two sessions ago because he was sleeping with seventeen year olds, and it's just like, okay, buddy.
0: Oh, after after being covered up for two years after yeah. he was no longer useful to the Democrat establishment. That's when they kicked him out. <laughs> yeah. So let's not, let's not forget that it was covered up for a couple of years before, That's before he was finally kicked out. Um, so I'm curious, you mentioned a little bit ago, uh, border security is a big deal down there. Um, th- again, just kind of the national headlines is the migrants being shipped off to different countries or not different countries, different cities, you know, <laughs> typically blue States. Um, and, it seems like the ones that make the biggest headlines are the ones that were kind of done against their will or without them being fully informed of where they were going. And I know um Florida's gotten more flack than than Abbott has recently, but um from from somebody who's, you know, boots on the ground, what what are your thoughts on that? Is there like is there I'm I'm sure the national media is not giving it a fair shake, but
2: Well, I, I don't think it deserves frankly, I, I don't think it deserves a fair shake. I mean, yeah. I, I think it's I think it's it's um It's entertaining, right? I mean, like, Mm -hmm. whenever you... And it is funny. The only reason it's worked, in a sense, that it worked is because you have some of these liberal mayors who are, you know, all been out of shape about things. And um, that's entertaining. Like, you can't not be entertained by that. But it's not real policy. I mean, you're talking about very small numbers of people... And it's it's a it's a show, right? You know, right. and so I was real negative on it. But frankly, I mean, I'm I'm a guy. I'm with the grassroots, and grassroots people don't exactly overthink public policy. You know, yeah. they, they see Abbott doing this, and they go, "Great!" You know, it's in this funny and whatever the you know, whenever, you know, the mayor of Chicago or whatever, gets all been out of shape and starts complaining about how unfair it is and everything else. It's like, okay, well, I guess, I guess this is a pretty good tactic because you give them a little taste of what we're having to deal with and what we're having to spend money on uh, dealing and with. That, taxes. Like
0: that's the biggest thing you get the mayor of Chicago and Mary of New York complaining about the migrants and how they don't have the resources or whatever to take care of these people, <laughs> giant multi-million people, cities, Yeah, And they're getting the amount of of migrants who are basically, you know, who are showing up in these towns of 50,000 on the border, you know, and, and I I think it's It's
2: not even that. I mean, it's like, how many people can you get on a bus or a plane or whatever? So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's ironic or whatever, you know, it is entertaining in that sense, but it's not a real solution. I mean, I, I, I'm a big fan of, um, you know, we've, we've been calling some of the groups that I work with. Have been calling for uh, Governor Abbott to declare that there's an invasion, and to deploy the the Texas Guard or the Texas National Guard, and start making arrests and plop these people across the border of Mexico. Right? I mean, it's you know, I don't I don't know why that maybe that sounds extreme. I don't really think it actually is. It's exactly what we think should be happening. You just do it, right? And, what, and once mm-hmm. people are there, once they've been returned. Across the border, it's been done. What what are they going to do? You know, they're going to sue us. Of course, they're going to sue us. But you know, how's that going to work out? So, um, I'm I'm a fan of of declaring an invasion and, and actually making policy. And instead of sending people to San Diego or New York City or Chicago or whatever, take them across the border and stick them right back where they came from. And I think one
0: of, one of the things Trump did that I really appreciate in hindsight, well, I mean, at, at the time as well, but like looking back on our last Republican president was the yeah. stay in Mexico policy. Yeah. You can't get in here and let if you are already here, you need to go to Mexico City and fill out your paperwork and go through all the proper steps. Yeah. And uh, guess what? That solved a lot of the, the humanitarian crisis at the border because Mexico City has a lot more resources than these little border towns do to house these people. And also it encourages the Mexican government to, you know, do something about this and not just ferry people. I mean, there are, there are buses that will take people from Mexico's Southern border straight to the U S border. They've got, I've, I've known people who have volunteered on this, this uh, caravan to bring people from Central America to the U S border because Mexico doesn't want to deal with them. Mexico doesn't have, doesn't want to give them asylum they want to just send him up to the United States. So I thought the the stay in Mexico policy was was a brilliant piece of of legislation or not even legislation, but of of policy that yeah. helped this situation immensely and helped people to go through the proper steps rather than just, you know, jumping over the border and and disappearing into the the country.
2: Yeah. I, I think there are more uh this kind of more aggressive, t- and reasonable, but aggressive tactics like that 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 yeah. we're doing, and Abbott kind of flirts with that stuff. But, you know, the, the reality is he's not um, he's not very aggressive. I mean, he, he's he's very his team. You know, they're going to run a poll before they do anything, right? They're going to run a poll, they're going to see how you know the poll, you know the the policy poll tests. And if it's popular, okay, maybe we'll do that. And it's not to say that's a, like a bad thing, but it's just a very plotting, it's very small c conservative. And and that's what we see play out a lot of times.
1: Now that, I feel like that's interesting. Just it, it, he's there, there are not term limits for governors in Texas. Is that right?
2: Right. You know, I so, wish we did. I I think. I think it's kind of a problem that we
1: don't. So, and he could, and Greg Abbott is, I sixty or sixty five. He's not like a young guy, but he's not, you know, Joe Biden ancient type age. So he could plausibly just keep running for health. Is that right?
2: You know, it's you know because of because of his uh, his paralysis. You know, that's that's a it's just it's just difficult. I, I don't know how. Um, I mean, obviously, I hope he finishes his term out and retires and, you know, lives, you know, <laughs> retires and has a, a great it's end of his life. life here. Um, but, I, uh, you know, it, it, it is something that, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it is, it is, you know, part and parcel of his health condition. Um, and so I don't, I don't know how long he can just be in office um you know just like any other person he obviously has challenges that most people don't so um but uh yeah so we'll we'll see about that but um you know i I don't know it doesn't really seem like any any end in sight anytime soon
1: (laughs) well because i was gonna say he i think won election to this office in 2014 so he will be right. coming up on 10 years here in office and up again in 2026. And if this is the thing, just pull test your way into, you know, continuing to win elections and not worrying about getting primaried or whatever, then more power to him. And that's great. But it, he struck me as somebody who is likely, I don't think, going to run for president, which is kind of the next thing. I mean, the last two guys who were governors of Texas, decided to run for president. One of them actually won. I don't know where else you go in politics after being the governor of Texas. There's not like a next big job or something like that. So it's like, you might as well get some good legislation.
2: Well, so that's the interesting thing. I I think he does want to run for president. Um, I don't think he, I think he recognizes he doesn't really have a great path. He's not really doing the things to actually uh, define himself in a way that people would want to vote for for president. But I think he would like to be president sure you know and so um th- to me that's that's the frustrating thing like if i was going to be the governor would i just want to be the governor for the sake of being the governor or would there would i want to do things <laughs> and, you yeah. know here you've got a guy who doesn't seem to have a clear agenda um is a little bit impulsive about what he pursues from time to time uh again, it's very cautious and so they didn't do stupid things with what he's for, and what he's working for. But I really just don't feel like he's driving the agenda. I feel like Patrick at lieutenant governor is doing a lot more to actually define and drive the agenda in the state. Um mm-hmm. uh, which is just is that's the way it is. It's it's uh it's just a difference in personality. I mean, you have a bolder personality at lieutenant governor.
1: Okay. And we had, uh, we were talking earlier a little bit about the the grassroots of the state and that you're you relatively involved with the grassroots. We in, uh, in Oregon, uh, the Oregon Republican party, the ORP, has just recently found leadership in what James and I hope, and what I would assume a lot of our listeners hope is, is somebody who's actually effective at the job. And we, somebody who actually I think can start doing a good job, raising money and recruiting quality candidates and things like that. So we maybe, maybe start winning some races someday, novel concept. I know. Um, but the RPT has, uh, the two separate things that I'd seen where one is the the executive director is uh, leaving. He's moving to a job to be the city manager of the city of Odessa or something like that. Right. And, oh, uh, somebody else in the Texas Twitterverse, uh, he had posted something saying that the cash on hand for the state party was around a million dollars. Two years ago, and is now around a hundred thousand dollars. And now, maybe that's just normal cash flow expenditures. But that also strikes me as, as I, I, Alan West or Matt Rinaldi, the current chair, had like run through a lot of money. There is, is, is there like party infighting? Is there anything kind of crazy? Or this is just look, it's a big party and it's a big state, and we just need stories.
2: Yeah, I, I think um, you know, for years the party was dominated by kind of the Carl Rove wing. I mean the party was designed to be ineffective effectively they they wanted rove would would kind of minimize the role of the party and then they took and um, put uh, you know would put money into kind of parallel kind of programs where he could control them as the head of you know a Senate campaign or a gubernatorial campaign or whatever and then spend that money that way and so. Um, I actually think that the grassroots are more united than they've ever been right now. I think they're more effective than they've ever been right now. Now, okay, money is down right now, but I don't doubt that there's an ability to go get money, you know, when they need money. And so um, I, I think Matt's doing a great job right now. Uh, I think, I think the party is asserting itself in a ways that it was designed not to
1: <laughs>
2: It's So, uh, uh, you know, I think that's an exciting thing. I think it's, I think it's great stuff.
0: Fun.
1: Well, fingers crossed something like that happens to us someday.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Nick, you want to, um, you had a, a question for Tony, as we're getting toward the end of the podcast.
1: I was going to say, yeah. So we we we'll get to our our normal traditional question here in a second. But just because we are recording on the last Thursday in June, which anybody follows the Supreme Court, this is kind of a high holiday for all of us. Uh, Tony, I, you're obviously uh, an attorney and quite a good one. Uh, just curious for any thoughts. We there's a six to three conservative majority on the Supreme Court. Anything that's jumped out in the past couple of years, or even five to ten years, that has been a really you know something you're kind of excited to see about in terms of a Supreme Court decision, if it's the uh, Dobbs, if it's the the abortion, if it's the, you know, affirmative action today.
2: Well yeah, so uh today's decision in in the Harvard and and University of North Carolina case is huge, finally kind of uh drawing a close to uh racial preferences in government. This has been something that's been litigated and debated and you keep thinking we're gonna win and we haven't won for you know twenty five years. And so we're finally there. And so, uh, you know, the court came made a great decision um, today, which is exciting. Um, you know, beyond that, uh, the court has been doing some great stuff. I do a lot of free speech litigation. And I don't think people appreciate the, the sea change you've seen in the last five, 10 years on free speech, where um, essentially content-based speech restrictions are viewed very skeptically by the court. And so, um, there's great opportunity um, in terms of protecting free speech at the court uh, right now, and so that's that's exciting stuff. But yeah, the the, the affirmative action decisions are really really big stuff. Um, I mean, that's that's definitely the the decision of the term, I would say.
0: Hmm. Well,
1: I'll be curious to get some more thoughts on free speech, just because we have a, a you had complained about Democrat legislators walking out on the job uh, two two years ago, one session ago for you guys in in Oregon. That's the only re- weapon that Republicans have had. So we've just ended a uh, the the state Senate ended a 20, I think, five day walkout, which is longest in state history, solely to deny quorum. And this is after the state had passed a bill saying anybody with any elected official more than 10 unexcused absences is barred from running for office again and the the Republican state senators are all counting on that being overturned by the Supreme Court saying no it's an exercise of our free speech to be able to walk out of the job so it's you know you're opposed to people leaving their jobs as legislators but if you're a free speech advocate I'd be curious we'll we'll get you on for an episode 2.0 we'll get you on for uh, for another follow-up on this yeah, one I'm, one. I'm about that.
2: um well the issue is when when quorum is larger than a majority, that's a structural flaw, <laughs> and we have it in Texas You y'all have it in Oregon, and you know you exploit it and do whatever you will with it. But really, it's a dumb. I think it's a dumb policy. I mean, it should. I mean, I don't blame anybody. If anyone wants to do it, you do it.
0: Great. But it, uh, play the hand dealt, uh, you dealt. You know, it really shouldn't work that way. <laughs> yeah
1: well and so that's and so you're you're absolutely right and that's that's the argument that the democrats are trying to make but um <clears throat> our, our our traditional question as as we wrap up the episode is to just ask our guests who their favorite republican is so living or dead national or i guess in your case texas based but anybody that comes to mind
2: yeah i i think uh given a good decision from the supreme court today and uh, you know it's i was saying it's always hard to say okay i like this Republican. i'm a republican obviously but you know i get frustrated with republicans politicians <laughs> I, I think i'm going clarence thomas
0: all right yeah
2: i'm good, good about clarence Have you ever read clarence thomas's uh, book my grandfather's son amazing stuff and he's just really a, an impressive writer impressive thinker so i'm going i'm going clarence thomas for at least for
1: Yeah, I guess his concurring opinion today was uh, was something. So that'll be that'll be a fun one to get into. And I guess it's not a surprise that um, Chief Justice maybe kept that one for himself and maybe tempered uh, things down a little bit there. But (laughs) that should uh, should be good. But in any case, uh, Tony, this was this was a fun one. I appreciate you teaching uh, us and our listeners a whole lot. And hopefully either all of us get the chance to go down to Texas sometime soon or we can just vote for Republicans here in Oregon.
0: (laughs) Great. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to the Rational Republican Podcast. Your hosts are James Ball and Nick Perlosky. The show today is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors of Portland, serving the greater Portland metro area for all your garage door installation and repair needs. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email us at james at jamesaball.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find our episodes at jamesaball.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts.